uh, it says something about the church, about um, the leadership of the church when the pastor can go and um, be on sabbatical and not have to worry about just how the church is doing because he knows that the church is in good hands and ultimately it is God's church. Um, I, I'm, I'm a friend of uh, Steve, uh, Pastor Steve and Pastor Mel. Um, they're dear friends of mine and you guys are actually very blessed. Um, this is just speaking from my heart. You guys are really blessed to have, to have them as your, your pastors. Um, let's, uh, let's go into the word. Uh, it's a real honor for me to be here, but uh, let's go into the Word and let's uh, celebrate this season uh, together. So we're reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And this is the Word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise, when then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, "Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him." After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have blessed us with your word. We thank you that you have blessed us with a time that we could uh, prepare, celebrating your, your coming and preparing for your future coming. And so, Lord, as we... Uh, as we hear your word today, Lord, may, may you prepare our hearts, ready us to hear and to seek you. May I become less, may you become more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I really like that question, what are your Christmas traditions? I'm from the U.S. You know, we have very different traditions. I remember coming here and learning about uh, like bonbons, uh, Christmas bonbons, Christmas crackers, and going, this is amazing. This is great. Because in America, they don't have it. Yeah, they don't have them. I don't know why. But the more and more I played with those, I really enjoy playing with those, the more and more. If you notice when you pop it, there's certain things that have to be there. One is the joke. There's a Christmas joke or Christmas trivia or something like that. You have to have that. 
Another thing is the crown. The crown. And I'm one of those goofy people that loves wearing it all day after you pop one of those. And I'll wear it. My kids, you know, at some point, if I'm, because it's summer, I'll be running around, it'll start to sweat. And then it'll start to stick to my forehead. And then eventually when I take it off, it leaves a stained color, right? But I love it. And I, I, I like to tell people that, do you know why there's a, that thing there? It's because of this story. Because people equate these wise men, they think uh, part of the tradition is that they, they were kings from the east. Because of the extravagant gifts that they gave, surely they would have been kings. And, you know, we sing the, the hymn, you know, we three kings of Orient are... Beautiful voice. <laughs> right? we, we sing that hymn, why? You know, because there, there's this sense that, oh, they must have been kings because of how extravagant their gifts were. But the amazing thing about them, we don't call them kings. You know, we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say they were kings. What do we say? We say they were wise men. Why were they wise men? Because they knew. They knew to seek out a king. They knew to seek out the king. And during this Christmas season, we, with all your traditions, with all the things that you prepare, all the busyness, Christmas is so busy. Christmas is stressful to people. Why? Because you have to buy all these gifts. You have to do all these things. You have to prepare an extravagant meal. You have to meet all these people. It's all this busyness and we forget. We forget why we celebrate Christmas. And as we look at this, let us remember, let us remember to seek, to continue to seek Him. But because we are wise men and women of God, we have been given this treasure, and now we continue to seek Him. So as we look at this passage, we're going to look at, um, we do not seek him. We do not seek him. Some of the culture of this world says don't seek him. We seek him for salvation, and we seek him for worship. So let's start with we do not seek him. Verse 3. Notice verse 3. Um, you know, you think of this passage and you think, oh, it's, you know, even, it's, it's decoration of Christmas. When you go to a Chris, if you go to um, places like the shopping center, you know one of the fun things to do is look for the nativity scene, and part of that nativity scene is these three kings, three wise men, as they approach with their gifts. What? What? It, what? It seems so amazing, so nice, so so beautiful, and yet, in the midst of this. It wasn't. It wasn't. If you look at this Christmas story, it wasn't. Why? Because look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, that um, the Christ was born, when he heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why were they troubled? Think about it. Uh, Matthew is the beginning of the New Testament, and before Matthew... There's 400 years of silence when God did not speak to his people, when there was no prophet, when there was nothing happening. And during that 400 period, it was just silent. 
So there are people were waiting for 400 years. You know, you, you struggle to wait for your order at Macker's. You know, you sit there and you wait. Oh, it's been more than five minutes. You know, how dare they, right? You, you struggled 400 years. They're waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. And then when it does, when it's saying it's going to be fulfilled, what happens? When Herod the king heard this, he was ecstatic. He was filled with joy. No, it doesn't say that. What was it? He was troubled. Not just King Herod. Who else was troubled? All Jerusalem with him. It's easy to understand this. If you've ever felt the threat of losing your kingdom, losing your way, when everything is perfectly built, ready to be, and there's a threat of it being built. My son, uh, oldest son, Joel, I have four children, and the oldest one, he loves Legos. And he's really good at it. He's really good at putting it together. Uh, he locks himself into a room, and he puts together these beautiful pieces. And as soon as he builds it, I, my third child, my second son, my third child comes, and he does what he does best. He goes, and he will seek this thing out, and he will destroy it. It is his mission. It is his gift in life. And he will go after it. And the thing is, for my son, he, my first son, you know, Joel knows this is going to happen. He knows it's inevitable. And yet, he knows I can, if I can just keep it away from him, then he won't destroy what I have built. In the same way, Herod has a kingdom. He is the king. And not just that, what's around him in Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the capital city, and all the people of Jerusalem there are his people. People that he has blessed. He has given them, you know, power and authority in his kingdom. And so the threat of a new king coming in is not, doesn't sound very promising. Think about your own lives. You guys have, are building kingdoms. Your own kingdoms. You're making your house look nice. You're making sure your children grow up. You're making sure you surround yourself with good people, good friends, good brothers and sisters. And you're doing this. You're building a kingdom around you. All of us are doing something like that. What if God is a threat to that kingdom? Burwood is a very wealthy neighborhood. And if you notice, um, people here, it's a lot of people, it's hard to evangelize to them. Why? Because the idea of God coming threatens, threatens their idea of peace. It threatens, oh, if I start to follow Jesus, then I have to go to church. I have to, you know, I can't go you know, play golf on Sunday. I can't do this. You know, oh, it threatens, oh, I have to give offering. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to meet up with people. You know, it's, oh, it's too much work. It threatens your kingdom. That's what Herod was feeling. His kingdom was at risk because a king was coming. What do you stand to lose if you follow Christ? If you follow Christ, if you follow him and give your life to him, you have to count the cost. What kind of threat will it be to your kingdom? You know what's interesting? If God comes, 
If God comes, I've just labeled you as Joel, my first son. You guys are building these. God will come and he will destroy what you've built. And that's a threat. That's not good. Why would that be good? It is. It is good. Because he is God. And he knows what's best for you. If he destroys your kingdom, know that he is just doing it with knowing all things, knowing what's best for you, knowing for sure what's best for you, and giving you not what you want, but what you need. We are so unwilling to let go of our control of our kingdom because we have this question of, is it really good, God? Is it really good? And if you think about the garden, that's the first thing Satan does to make Adam and Eve question God's goodness. Your kingdom is at risk, and that's good if the king that is conquering is our king. This world needs to hear that. They, they, it's, it's funny. They, they want this. They, 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 surely they want the Messiah to come. Surely they want this. And yet, they're like, oh, can he come later? Not while I'm king. I have this uh, um, thing. I usually, when I eat, growing up with siblings, I eat very fast. You go after the things you like the most. You, bah, 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 and you go and you become master at eating really fast, eating efficiently, eating all the good stuff first. So at the end, you just have, you know, just whatever, the filler that's left, you know, the vegetables, the garnish, you know, all the meat, all the bad-for-you stuff in. Except, except when I eat um, a boiled egg. Like when I eat, like, uh, ramen noodles, there's usually this boiled egg that I leave, I and I eat around it. I leave it at the very end. I eat it at the very end. I know because I know nobody else is, in my family is going to dare ask me, right? Try and eat it. They know this is mine, right? So I eat, eat it and save it for last. And I have it for the best bite. Do you know what's silly about this? There's this prayer I say before I start eating. As I'm eating, I don't realize I'm saying this prayer, but I'm sure it's, it's in my heart. It's, God, can you not come? Can you not come in between the time I start eating and the time I eat this egg? <laughs> Why? Because it's like, oh, if you, you know, I'm saving it for last. <laughs> if you come in between that time, then do you know how silly that is? Do you know how ridiculous that is? To say, God, do not give me Yourself, do not give me the greatest thing that can be offered to anyone. Don't come. Let me for this little piece of egg. And that's, you think, oh, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. Why would you think that? But, but, we do that with life. Don't come until I have reached my first million. Don't make me serve you until I have done everything. I, don't, don't, don't. Don't come and take over my kingdom until I have done this, I have done that. 
I have raised up these kids. We are busy building up our kingdom that we forget to seek him. Jerusalem had forgotten what it meant to seek after their God. So, the next two parts are how? Why? Why should we seek him? We seek him for salvation. Why did Jesus come? You know, we look, um, we look at this, uh, the manger scene, the nativity scene, we, and we think, oh, it's so nice and so beautiful. But know that for this child, when he came, he came with purpose. There was a very important purpose that he came, and that purpose wasn't all roses and uh, fairy lights. Why did he come? He came to suffer. He came to live the life we should have lived, that we failed to live. And he came to die the death we should have died. Already as a child, if you think about a child, as you look at a child, when you, when you, you have a child, uh, when you hold a baby in your hands, you know, most of us think, oh, what a bright future this child has. Most of us hope that this child will grow up and, you know, be happy and have a fun life, have a, uh, be surrounded by people that love him. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. His life, all that was promised of his life is that he would suffer, that people around him would abandon him, that those closest to him would abandon him, that he wouldn't be rich, that he would, wouldn't be uh, successful in the worldly terms that he would die a criminal's death. This was what was promised to him. But why did he come? If you think about before he came, Jesus was. Jesus existed before he came on that Christmas day. He's eternal God, the eternal son. But what's interesting is, before that moment that he came, he had everything. He's God. Everything was his. Why? Why would you be born and placed in a manger? Why would you uh, be born and be know, knowing that you're going to be ostracized? No, why would you be born knowing that you will suffer and die? Why? Why? Why would you do that? Because, because of you. Because of you. Because that's the one thing he would not have. If he did not come. If you think about the way he comes. Verse 6 says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, this is the prophecy of his coming, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. If you look at that prophecy, it talks about Bethlehem, and it's a tiny city. It's a small, small town. And if you think about where Jesus came from, he came it's like he, him coming from Buckingham Palace and coming to live in a flat in Burwood. It's probably the same price. But yeah, you know, like, it's, it's a difference. It's different. He had everything. Why? He came. He came as a humble king, placed in a manger because there was new, no room for him at the inn. Imagine the glory that he had. He was sitting on the throne of God. The next place he was placed in 
was a feeding trough of animals. This is your king. This is your savior. This is how much God loves you. When people say, oh, I love you, you know, my wife used to say this all the time, like, prove it. You know, she didn't say it like that. She didn't say it like that. Prove it. But she'd be like, well, you know, what does that mean? You know, you need to show action, right? Um, you know. You know how much someone loves you by how much they are willing to sacrifice. A couple years ago, I was eating my ramen noodle, and the egg, egg yolk was sitting there. And as I was finishing up, it was the last thing there. And my second child, my daughter, Emma, comes up. All my kids have egg allergy, except for Emma. <laughs> and Emma comes over and she goes, oh, that looks so good. And I was like, don't you dare. No, no, it's amazing. I was so shocked at this. I was like, do you want it? Do you want it? And she looked at me like, yes. And honestly, I was happy. I was happy to give her the, and I'm thinking back, I'm like, what got over me? That's love. <laughs> I love my daughter. I want her to have what I would rather she was happy. She enjoyed, that would be greater enjoyment to me. Why? Because that's sacrifice. That's love. How much does God love you? If you think about all the people who love you in your lives, look at how much they're willing to sacrifice. Your parents love you. You know they love you because they've sacrificed for you. Your, your spouse loves you. You know they love you because they sacrificed for you. They, you know, oh man, I, that, you know, I have to go on this date. It's an expensive date, but for you, yeah, I'll do it. We do it. What, that's... How much does God love you? How much of, this is the guarantee of his love. Whenever you doubt his love, how could he love a sinner like me? I've sinned again and again and again, and each time I've come to him and I said, please forgive me, and each time, each time you've fallen again. How do you know? This is the guarantee. Remember this one thing. He who did not withhold his own son, how much more will he give all things? How much does God love you? He gave his son. Man, I can say, for most of you here, I can say there's, uh, like, I pray for you guys. I pray for you not knowing most of you here. I pray for you knowing why. Because I love Mel and Steve, Pastor Mel and Pastor Steve. I love them. Like, and I think about them, and I, I pray for you guys. I pray for this church, and I always ask them how it's going and things like that. But if one of you were to ask me, how much do you love me? Would you give your son? Would you let him die for me? Or not even die. Would you let him be beat for Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I love my son everything. He gave you his everything. Before all creation, 
His son was his. He gave you. That's, that's love. He loves you that much. And he came down. That's what we celebrate on Christmas. A king who knows. He's not just a king who came and was like, worship me. What did he do? He lived the life. Not just, he didn't live one of our rich lives. He didn't come in a time when there was running water and toilets that flushed. No, he, he suffered. He came. He knows what it's like. He, he lived a poor life. He knows what it's like to be the least of us. And whenever we ask, what do we stand to lose by following him? We have to ask, what did he stand to lose to love us? He, he lost his life. God lost his son. And we could say, oh, but he rose again on the third. But he didn't need to. He only did it because he loves us. So we seek him in worship. When the, um, the wise men came, look at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11 says, When the wise men, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Very different from the people in Jerusalem. You have to realize these wise men, they're coming from the east. They're coming not from a, a, a place where there are Jews. These are... These are people who are considered Gentiles, considered enemies of this nation, and they come. People who are not his people, they come, and when they see the star, it's the exact opposite of Jerusalem. They come, and they have exceeding joy. And verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They fell down and worshipped him. Could you imagine this mother holding a baby and these people, you know, people from a foreign land coming into your house and worshipping your child? That is the worship, the honor that we should give we should give to our God. And they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you have to realize all of these are expensive things. So, so expensive that people assumed, people assumed that, people theorized that they're kings. Great gifts. Gold. And gold, you have to realize, is pointing to his, his kingship. His power, his authority, frankincense is pointing towards his divinity. You know, frankincense, it was used in worship. And myrrh, myrrh, if you look at where myrrh is, an expensive perfume, but it's, it's used when the women go to, uh, on, on Sunday to, to come to his body, to tend to his, his body when they go to the resurrection, when they think that they need to tend to, the, tend to his dead body. What do these gifts represent? They're gifts to a king, to a god, and to sacrifice. What is our heart of worship towards our king? We worship way too little in our lives. No, no, no. That's wrong. Sorry. 
We worship. We worship all the time. We worship all the time. What, what is it we worship? That's a different question. We worship the, the culture of this world. We worship what this world says, bow down to this idol. We will bow down. Bow, bow down to this money. If you bow down to this, we will give you money. If you give all your time and effort, we will give you this. And this, these are things that we worship all the time. Things, things like, oh, my personal time. Things like, oh, the, my, my, my loved ones. And none of these are necessarily bad in themselves, but we're worshiping something. Something that is not worthy of that worship. There's only one worthy of worship. We need to have an attitude of worship, and that worship does not stop when we say amen on Sunday. When we leave the church, that's not. That worship needs to be something that we carry throughout the day. And so what do I, you know, what am I saying? You stay at church 24-7, you know. Stay here and worship and sing praise and pray. No. We have to incorporate worship into our every aspect of our life. Not that we add worship into our lives, but that everything we do is a worship to God. So that when you work, when you work, you're not working so that you can make money. No, you're working saying, by doing what I do here, I am building His kingdom. I am glorifying God. When you uh, spend time with your children, you're not raising your children so that someday they can be um, what, you know, rich, rich doctors or nurses and um, know, lawyers, you know? actor, I don't know, whatever, whatever um, you aspire for your children. No, that's not the purpose. You raise them up so that they would be worshipers of God. And they need to see that in their parents. You worship when you eat. You worship when you spend time with your friends. You worship 24-7 as part of your life, even when you sleep. How can sleep be worship? Sleep is most perfect when you are worshiping God. Why? Because when you sleep, you have to say to God, God, I am temporary. I am fallible man. I am human, a human being. I have to rest. And when I rest, I have to depend completely and utterly on you. Rest. Rest in Him. Worship Him. Worship Him all the time. Because that is what these, they, they, they worship with sacrifice. They give frank, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They could have been very poor people. They had these family treasures, but they said, no, this child, this king is worthy of our greatest treasures. They had to, you know, they didn't take the train. They didn't fly an airplane to get to this location. What? For a long period of time, for a long period of time, they would have been traveling. They would have been traveling, following the star, coming to this child. This, this is what we need to be doing. Love God with sacrifice. 
Love him with your things. Love him with your time. Love him with your money. Love him with your family. Love him with your church. This is the attitude of worship we must have. And know this. When we seek him in worship, the way I've been speaking is very much me, individual. I need to worship. This is the blessing of God. When they, wise men came, we know these things for sure. They were wise, they were men, and there was more than one of them. That's all we know, right? And they gave those gifts. We don't know there were three wise men. It's not, it doesn't say three wise men. We don't know if there were kings. It doesn't say that. But they weren't alone. They went together. When you seek God... God has given us this great gift that you do not have to seek him by yourself. That he's blessed you with people around you so that you can seek God together. Seek him together. When you go to God, you look at the people to your left and to your right, behind you, and you go, let's let's go seek him together. Look for opportunities to go and worship together. And that doesn't just mean at church, but... Call throughout the day. See the people who aren't here. Message them. Let them know that you're thinking about them. You know, I, I hope Pastor Steve isn't watching, but how great would it be for Pastor Steve, Pastor James, if you guys messaged him. If you got, he got a flurry of messages saying, we missed you today. You know, how great would that be? Man, do it. Love, love him. Worship together. Think about one another. Don't worship God alone. We are called to worship together. So you have to think. You have to think about your kingdom. Your kingdom is at stake. And if you could think about it, each of us are our own kings and queens. And we all have our thrones, uh, our crowns. But this week, as you think, as you prepare for Christmas, take your crown. Take the things that are your glory, your, the things that are your wealth, and take that and lay them at his feet, at the throne of God, and say, how, how can I use this to worship you? And as you do this, we This is ultimately our wisdom as we are wise men and women seeking after him. Let's let's pray.